Good afternoon and welcome to NUFC Matters on a Saturday pre-match with me, Steve Rape and Lee Clark. How are you, Lee? Good, Steve. Um, well, saying good, tinged with a little bit of sadness today with the news that's broken this, this morning of um, the real, true Geordie legend, uh, one of our own World Cup winner, Big Jack, Big Jack Charlton. Obviously, ex-Newcastle United manager as well. I think he's gone on record as saying that was always his dream job. Obviously, him and his brother Bobby uh, done, done the uh, region proud to Washington lads, becoming to be uh, champions of the world in, in football. So, yeah, um, I think uh, tinged with a little bit of sadness uh, today, Steve, um, unfortunately. But... Uh, you, when when days like this happen, you just remember and you have a look back on what he achieved because you take it for granted sometimes and you see 773 appearances for Leeds United, one club man, the trophies he won for that football club and probably its most decorated time in its history and then the success he had on the international stage as a, both as a player then reinventing the Republic of Ireland as a manager and those uh, major tournaments he got them to win. You hear the stories of the players who played for him and played with him. Uh, a great guy. And someone who I, I know very well. He lives, or he lived up here in Northumberland in the next village to me. So I've seen him on a regular basis. Um, a few personal stories is from, from obviously that link. He probably owes us about a uh, hundred pints of Guinness because whenever I bumped into him, um, he always used to say that he'd uh, forgot his wallet again. But I was never uh, was never any problem buying Jack a, a pint of his uh, favourite Guinness and um, listening to, to his um, knowledge of the game. Also, um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, in the early 90s, Jack was on the panel that used to um, decide who was the uh, Barclays Young Eagle of the Month, which at the time I, I was you know, were recipient of on numerous occasions and Jack would come onto the pitch at St James's Park before the home game to present us with that trophy. And, um, and when he did, took the uh, Republic of Ireland job, he was trying to convince us to change my allegiances from playing for England to playing for the Republic of Ireland. And in hindsight, that's a regret that I, sh I should have done because I stuck with England. I'd gone through all the levels and then when it got to the finals, Pusher only ever made it to the full England squad and never got the cap. Whereas with Jack, I could have potentially played in a World Cup and a Euro Championships. He was that determined. It was through my grandparents on my father's side. And, um, you know, so that that was probably one regret, really. The rules weren't as, as, as loose as they were now as well because you can play for England under-21s or even for the full team in a friendly, but still then go and play for another country. But because I'd represented England under-21s in an international tournament, Euro Championships and in a World Cup, we uh, we couldn't uh, change allegiance then as well. So that put that to bed. And then the final story is a real funny one. When I was a young schoolboy myself and the apprentices at the time, were asked to go up and clean the manager's house, who at the time was obviously Big Jack. And uh, so me and Paul Stevenson uh, were designated to clean the living room at Big Jack's sprawling house up here in the North Northumberland. So the newspaper rack was just, you know, had numerous newspapers in it. And as we pulled the newspapers out the rack, some sort of little coin flipped out, went across the room. 
we picked it up and took it across to the, the then gaffer and just said to him, gaffer, you know what, this just flew out the rack, we don't know what it is. And his exact words was, bloody hell, lads, that's me World Cup winner's medal. I've been looking all over for that. <laughs> so, lo and behold, uh, you know, me and Steve, I had something worth a right few quid in my hands and would give it up. <laughs> I mean, so many great stories about Jack Charlton. I was, you know, I had the privilege of meeting him on more than one occasion, getting to know him. Malcolm Dix, the uh, the honorary vice president of Newcastle United, introduced him to me at a sport Newcastle dinner many, many years ago. And uh, we kept in touch. And, um, you know, there's a couple of events which I had, some that he wanted to go to. He was, a, as well as a football man, he was a boxing fan. He really wanted to meet Ricky Hatton. So I invited him along as my guest to the Lancastrian suite. Then he came along that night and he was in his element, you know. Uh, he was, um, you know, he was he wanted to photograph with him. And at the time, we had uh, Stephen Taylor and Peter Ramage were playing, two, two Geordie lads playing for Newcastle. They both wanted to come and meet him, so I put them on the same table as them. And... They had a cracking night, you know, Jack had a cracking night. He loved listening to the stories and, and Ricky's a great after-dinner speaker. And it was just, a, it was a great night. It was nice to be able to give him something back and, and give him the opportunity. And, and although Ricky was the star that night, you know, I'm, I'm sure that Jack probably signed just as many autographs as, uh, as, as Ricky did, you know, because of, because of the fact that he was, you know, a 1966 World Cup winner. And of course, as you mentioned earlier, a former Newcastle manager and, Last time I saw him, obviously, you know, it's, it's well publicised. He was having those, um, you know, those battles with uh, his health um, and, and, and dementia had sadly set in. And uh, he, you know, always wanted to support things. Um, I spoke to Patty's wife and um, she said, well, if you can pay for a taxi, Steve, we'll come down and uh, we'll come and support the Pavel Cup. And uh, he, he got, you know, Pat got him in the car and they came down in a taxi and... Uh, he pulled up at Dunstan's ground. He was he was mobbed by kids and adults alike, and he signed everything. He was he was a little bit of a fluster. He wasn't a hundred percent sure why he was there, but then when he when he came in, he, he got sat down and um, had a place all ready for him in the clubhouse. And 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 the beauty was that England were playing that day, um. So you know the the Pavel Cup had been played out. We didn't want him standing there watching watching the match and etc. But he came down and he just watched the England match with the with the people who supported the Pavel Cup and with a lot of the Dunstan fans at the clubhouse. And uh, it was a fantastic night. Um, you know he he came down. He had his photographs taken with with a, with a, a few of the the, the lads etc. The, the former manager Billy Irwin and that. And it was just a great night. But you know that was the last time I saw him. And it was just you know as always smart as a dart. Had his suit on, his pin badges his tie and you know what I mean he was uh, you know he was always always very smart when I met him and uh, just just an absolute gent and a legend and just I'm, I'm pleased that I got the opportunity to you know to meet him as, as I did on on more than one occasion you know I think that's a, the key Steve I think uh, the fact that he's come down and he's he, he, he was so humble and for what he'd achieved in the game um, you know in every aspect he's playing and managerial side that wasn't a big thing for him um, you know, it was just the fact he came back and came back to his roots, loved living in the countryside because fishing and, you know, all those type of, you know, outdoor sports were what he's love of his life. Um, and he was just a fantastic guy. I mean, he's absolutely revered in uh, in Ireland and Dublin and all those. You go around there and you... The Hiya Jory accent, and they just mention you know Big Jack straight away, and they become so friendly with you because of because of him, um, you know, and uh, he, he's just a brilliant guy. I mean, I've, I've 
I forgot one other story that I should tell you was obviously I was still a young player, school boy at the time, but I was I was part of the youth team set up and what used to happen when Jack was manager, uh before they played games, the youth team would play against the first team to to try and reenact the opposition on the on the game coming up on the start. Then it was the the famous game at Loftus Road on on the AstroTurf pitch, mm-hmm. and um, when uh, Chrissy scored four goals and it ended up five five, I remember going down to the game being four 0 up at half time and then five three up in injury time. But only Newcastle could do with five five. So what was happening was during this practice match at the old Benwell training ground, the first team weren't getting a lot of joy against us youth team at the time. And uh, Big Jack came on, the, the gaffer, and he had his brogues on and his cords and his barber jacket and his, his flat cap. And he said, uh, roll me the ball, son, to one of the youth players. And he flicked it up with one touch and he just volleyed it 50 yards straight over the top of the, our defence. And he said, that's the only effing ball that works on this pitch on Saturday. Now I'm away fishing. Stop wasting me time. <laughs> and by the way, when the team done it, he was right because Chris Waddle kept getting in, scored four goals. I remember going down to the game at Loftus Road. It was the most ridiculous game ever. You went from absolute elation, four 0 up, to devastation in injury time, five five. And uh, you know, it was uh, it, it was just. He was just an inspirational man, as you say. He, he was he, he was so friendly with everyone. You loved being in his company. Actually, when you used to pester him about asking him about the stories about football, he seemed quite uh, embarrassed to talk about it. He wanted to talk about other things, you know. Um, he'd rather talk about, you know, you. So if I was in his company and I'd ask him something about his career, he tried to push it onto myself, really, rather than uh, push the success he'd had down his uh, down someone else's throat, but you just wanted to, you wanted to understand what he'd done in his career, and, and and I think everyone, everyone who's from the region, young or old, are proud of him and his brother to have, you know, two of our own who are our World Cup winners, and uh, yeah, a sad day, but one that we should be proud of and remember him, and as I put in the Instagram post, gone but never forgotten. Yeah, 100%. And you talk about Ireland. I know I've been across there on stag dues and uh, football trips in the past. And, uh, you know, the, the rumours are true. You know, you go into some of these bars and behind these bars, there's a, a framed cheque um, <laughs> signed by Jack Charlton. And apparently one of the things he used to do was, of course, when he was as successful as he was as Republic of Ireland manager, was he used to go in the bar, um, make out that he'd forgotten his cash, pull out a chequebook, buy the round for whoever was in. And, of course, none of these uh, people who owned the pubs would ever cash the cheque. So, but that's right, that's he'd right. He'd done three booze and so was everybody else who was with him. That's <laughs> typical, typical Jack, typical Jack. That's an absolute classic story. And uh, I've got no doubt. I'm looking forward to uh, listening to the many people who would be hitting the, you know, the media in terms of the TV and the radio, people who are even closer to him than I was. Uh, who played alongside him, who played for him um, as senior players. I'm looking forward to hearing their stories and anecdotes about him because I've got no doubt there'll be hundreds of those. And It, it, it brings a smile to your face to, to hear of all the positive and great stories and all, all the positive way he touched so many people uh, around the world, um, not just here in his homeland in the northeast. Um, so, you know, as I said, he'll... he'll He'll, he'll always be remembered. We'll never forget him. He's made he's made he's made this region proud. 
I mean, two Geordie lads, of course, who, who we gave debuts to and who went on to do well at different levels were, were of course, Joe Allen, the centre-forward, who uh, went on to Corby's name and at Hartlepool. He's a legend down there, got a street named after him, good pal of both yours and mine. And, of course, Paul Gascoigne, Gaza. Um, a lot of people forget that it was Jack Charlton who, who actually discovered Gaza and gave him his opportunity at the first team in Newcastle and he went on to become a legend himself. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that, you know, that shows the the quality of the man. He's seen. I think Gaza always tells a story when Jack walks past him and says, "Oh, you fatty, you come to play for me." And I think, uh, I think Jack, I think Jack seen past the 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 ungainly physique Paul had at the time as he was as he, in his late teens and seen the ability and give him the confidence and put him in the side and Paul then shone brightly. So I can imagine Paul, will, uh, you know be out there sometime today in, 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 in the media world giving with some stories and obviously thanking Jack because as a player you always thank the man who gives you that opportunity you know if you know many a times we've been together that Jim Smith will always be important to me when, when obviously Jim passed away as well not too long ago that was a sad day for me because you know he for, for someone a manager like that to stick and I've known because I've been in that position to put a 17 year old in the team is is a lot of you know takes a lot of guts and you know because it could fall flat on them and uh, so I've no doubt Paul he'll, he'll be deeply saddened as well because he'd be so close and I think it was it was that George, one Jordy to another relationship but that's, that's what I got the feel of whenever uh, I met him and he presented us with um, Young Eagle of the Month awards uh, and he reached a chat and then obviously came on to us to try and get us to go and play for the Republic. It was He was trying to pull on me heartstrings from one jury to another, but we obviously couldn't get through the red tape and I always had that little doubt. I was still hopeful about the England, but as I said, in hindsight, I wish I had took them up. I know there's, there's so many funny stories and um, you know we're hoping to get Joe Allen on at some point. I know at the moment we're locked down and that he'd been looking after his dad quite a bit who uh, is a canny age himself. And... Um, he was, you know, so many stories, but one in particular that I'll always remember Joe telling on the after-dinner circuit was, um, you know, Joe getting into the first team and, and, and Jack being the manager and, uh, you know, that first you know, first day going into the dressing room and, you know, getting your peg and sitting down and, and, and essentially Jack coming in and, you know, just naming the team and, you know, Jack had that, you know, that Ashton way of speaking, you know, and, you know, quite, quite an aggressive voice, you know what I mean? Loud, and, you know, loud and aggressive. And he, um, he, he names the team and, uh, you know, everyone's sitting there, you know, eyes down, etc. And uh, one of the players pipes up, uh, Gaffer, you've named 12. And uh, he goes, all right. I'm pretty sure it was Neil McDonald. He goes, well, you're not playing. <laughs> That's how he picked the team. Um, who got named that day? He played number nine. Um, I think it was Sheffield Wednesday at home, actually, and I think Joe scored. But, um, yeah, I mean, just just hilarious. So many funny stories, and I'm I'm, I'm not going to steal Joe's thunder because when we get him on, I'm sure he'll be able to, be able to tell quite a few uh, others. Um, I mean, you know, it didn't quite work out for Jack as manager at Newcastle. And I mean, obviously, you were, as I say, you were you were just up and coming then. But can you remember those days? I mean, I, I was I was only in my second season as a supporter. Um, it was the first season that I'd actually gone to the games on my own and with my mates rather than with my dad. Um, but I just remember the. Uh, I just remember that you know a lot of people were. You know, you know, weren't as happy with Jack as manager because of the football he was playing. He was, you know, we'd gone from Arthur Cox and Kevin Keegan and Terry McDermott 
Peter Beersley and Chris Waddle to, you know, this this lovely attacking flow in football to, you know, oh, Jackson, it's long ball. I mean, was there, a, you know, did you feel that around the club when you, when you were a kid? Yeah, listen, Jack had his certain way of playing. As I said, that, that day he was talking about going to QPR was a good example. And you were right. I mean, I think it's it, it's quite a been... It, it, unique that it's it mirrors what Steve Bruce probably had to handle after Rafa because Arthur Cox was held in such high esteem he developed and produced a fantastically exciting winning promotion winning team with the, the front three and Terry Mack in behind of you know the front three Kevin Keegan Peter Beardsley Chris Waddle so we had those four players um, Kevin obviously retired Terry Mack couldn't come to agreement in terms of a new contract so he moved on so you lose two of your talisman you lose two of your most influential and experienced players um, and then obviously um, he's, he's come up against the backdrop of the football that had been played he played football in a different way we went with uh, you know we brought big George Riley in big Tony Cunningham went with big strikers Peter and Chris seemed to be playing a bit more withdrawn roles really pushed out wide and and stuck out. I mean, if you remember, though, the first three games, I think we went and won the first three and were top of the the old first division, which is now the Premier League then. So the start had been great. But then, obviously, you know, the way Peter and Chris wanted to play with a lot of freedom across the front line seemed to be from the terraces that was being a bit restrictive. Um, but even though they're still, you know, they were still positive in how they played because they were catching the attention of other clubs, i.e. Chris moves to Tottenham, not long later, Peter, obviously a year or two down the line, goes on to Liverpool. Um, that's probably was more down to their talent than anything else. So it was a tough period for him. I think it was probably one of them. And I can imagine now I've had the experience of being a manager myself that he was probably that des- so desperate to do well. He probably tried too hard to be successful. Because we all know and we've said it, and it was probably right then and it's probably right since that, you know, the next one to win that major trophy, uh, the first one since Joe Harvey, will be revered around the city and the statue will be getting built immediately. So I think as a Geordie lad and someone with his affiliation to the area and to the club, through his obviously his uncle as well, Jackie Milburn, he probably tried too hard to be a success and it turned out a little bit sour in the end and, and he walked away from the club. But that will never ever take away from the fact that and what he was as a person, how uh, gracious he was. Um, and he still spoke positively about the club, uh, about the area and his love for the area and the club. Uh, never wavered, you know. So, um, he, 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 done it. he had a go. It probably didn't work out the way he wanted to. Um, but he, as I said, there was probably those uh, you know, it, factors in it um, that probably made it not be his, his time. He might not have been a success at Newcastle, but as we've already alluded to, Republic of Ireland manager, he was, he was an absolute legend. And I mean, you know, the, there'll be tears in, in, the, in the pints of Guinness across there today. There's no doubt about that. Um, and it's funny because obviously there's been a lot of, um, you know, matches replayed on television with the lockdown, Lee. And the, there's been a couple of uh, documentaries and stuff done on, on Italia 1990. And of course... We all remember that because of you know England getting to the semi-final and uh, you know Gaza's tears. But 
I remember watching this, and it wasn't specifically on on Ireland, but it was it was covering the whole World Cup in general and focused a bit on Ireland. And I just remember being just as excited about them getting to that stage. Do you know what I mean? And absolutely. And it was and it was it was you were willing them to win as well because a lot of those players who played in the Irish team, of course, were all playing in the old first division as well. So of course, when England played Ireland, it was just like a, it was like a first division game or what we call the Premier League now. So yeah, I mean, it, it you know it was just as emotional for, for us watching that, and and of course with Jackie Bean from the North East, we all wanted him to do well. Without a doubt, Steve, I think uh, you're hitting the nail on the head. And and you talk about success. He's very successful just down the road at Middlesbrough as a manager. He's very successful at Sheffield Wednesday as a manager. So, you know, there's there's been more high points than low. And obviously, we talk about his career, one club man, which is very difficult now, and, and what he achieved in his, in his football playing days as well. And it always seemed to be as well that he was, he was always seen as the... Um, the, not the poor relation, but the one in behind uh, Sir Bobby, his brother, yeah. Sir Bobby Charlton, always seemed to grab more the the limelight. And obviously, that's probably down to the fact that he was more of an attacking player. You know, it, it still happens now. Defenders don't get the, as much credit as the attacking players do because they make the they they get the you know the cream on the top when they score. Or they make the final pass, whereas defenders. You know, sometimes goes under the radar the the, the hard work and the, the the great work that they do to help you get positive results. So, um, no, you you're spot on. And, and I remember watching those tournaments, and it was like your second team. You want them. Um, and I remember in the Euro Championships when they got drawn together, it was a real difficult game. Ended one-one, and it proved to be one of the toughest games that England had because, as you said, it was just players from. You know, it's like like a club match, really, and it was played like a club match in terms of international football is completely different in terms of the intensity, the tempo it's played at in different ways. You know, it, it's a, like a chess game in international level, but what was happening was uh, this was played like an old first division game, so it was all blood and thunder. So, now nothing but great memories made. Really tough to see that news this morning, but I think, and what I'd like to say to everyone is, remember the good times, remember what he was about, and be proud of what he brought to us as, as Geordie people, him and his brother, to to get to the pinnacle of, uh, you know, pinnacle of what he was playing in. Anything you do in any walk of life, if you get to the pinnacle, it's unbelievable achievement. And him and his brother as Geordie's done that, and, and we're really proud of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, so many achievements. Of course, he was an OBE. Um, you know, he's had so many different plaudits thrown at him, as well as being, of course, the World Cup winner. Obviously, there was a lot of talk after his autobiography about him and his brother, you know, having having a bit of a fallout. But I think the, I think the last thing I remember um, of those two together was the BBC Sports Personality of the Year awards. And, and it was lovely to see Bobby present him with the... You know the the lifetime achievement award. So you know, the, nice to think that they did eventually make it up. Um, we feel for Bobby, of course. We feel for Pat, and we feel for the three kids. But uh, just we just both felt it was right today to pay tribute to to a northeast legend. Yeah, listen. My final point on that is he should have been knighted. The all them guys should have been knighted, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, I had. Uh, the pleasure of being up and close with George Cohen for a long time, who's an ambassador of my old club at Fulham. And all those guys should have should have got knighthoods and uh, you know, and I think it would have been right. But uh, and as you say, hey listen, 
<laughs> we've all got siblings, brothers and sisters. We'll have the fallout. Theirs is obviously done in the public domain because they were high profile. But at the end of the day, you know, you love one another and you look after one another. They, that was unique, their story. Two brothers to be World Cup winners. Two brothers at two separate huge clubs in England to be successful in their own right. Uh, and then, obviously, Sir, Sir Bobby going on to do great things as a direct and ambassador of Manchester United and Jack to, Jack to go on and be successful in his managerial career. Kind of one tire of reiterating, they've done us proud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right, on to Newcastle United, mate. And we obviously played Man City. I don't think either of us were expecting uh, to come back with a great deal from there, especially the form that Man City are in. They're like, uh, you know, that they've lost the Premier League to Liverpool, you know, not just lost it, they've been murdered this season, really, as far as the, the title chase is concerned. They've had to give them a, a round of applause onto the pitch. They then stuffed them 4 0. Um, so we're never going to get an easy ride. Newcastle, of course, had, had their injury problems. Um, some players, of course, will have been rested because it's been quite intense. Um, was there anything positive we could take out of that game? Really? Um, probably the fact that we weren't on the end of the highest ever Premier League defeat because at one stage I think that was looked like it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, for me, Steve, um, I get it. They're an unbelievable team. I've talked about them. I'm a massive admirer of the manager. He's my favourite. I got the chance to, to when he's Barcelona manager, being near his close proximity for two weeks. I went over to Barcelona to see him work, and he he treated me unbelievably. Uh, and I, and he's, you know he's the one that stands out for me. Unbelievable players. He's, he's they've, they've, they've organised and, and recruited a magnificent squad, and it just shows you how well Liverpool have done to win that title, because. Uh, you know, when you see City play the way they do like that, it's always going to be tough. And uh, But I just think when it comes to Manchester City, there's a, there's a fear factor. You know, it's all right, yeah, you have to play what's called a low block, but in, in old terms, it's playing deeper, being a bit tighter, trying not to let them play through the lines. But we were so deep, we never got off the edge of our own box. Our midfield players were only about 10 yards outside our own box. Now, what I'm saying to you, if you're giving players time on the ball, even if it's in front of you, the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, David Silva, Phil Foden, even Rodri, uh, or Mahrez is picking up in wide positions. You know, when you give them players time on the ball, they're world-class. They will find the right pass eventually to cut, cut through you. And when you play like that and you get go a goal behind, what do you do? Do you start chasing in the game? Do you start opening up? So I just felt that, you know, it was five. Foden missed two terrific opportunities for him because he's going to be top, absolutely top draw. Um, in the years, top draw, but he's only going to get better. They had other opportunities where Dubravka's made a couple of saves. So I just think that in the cup tie, especially the first half of the cup tie, we've played with a fear factor. And what you kind of do when you play against these teams is when you win possession of that ball, you kind of give it away cheaply. We weren't even getting two, three passes in before we're giving the ball back to Manchester City. And if you keep giving them that ball back, they're going to hurt you. I mean, some of the possession stats was 83% to 17. Manchester City, 93.7% success pass rate, which is a Premier League record. So that's going to tell you. Um, the good thing was, uh, and hopefully for today's game at Watford, and I've been looking closely on the footage um, 
certainly Almiron will be your start. I would have thought he, he wasn't deemed fit enough to start, but was on the bench. Alan St. Maxim looks like he's going to return. I didn't see any footage of uh, Lascelles, to be honest, and any footage of Andy Carroll during the training sessions. So whether they're just going to not train and, and, and be involved in the game, um, you know, remains to be seen. But at least we have the two potent attacking threats that we, we need at the top end of the pitch to give us a chance. Because, you know, this has got the makings of a tough game. I know Nigel very well. I've worked with him closely. And the coaching team at Newcastle, he's very well organised, you know, has a great rapport with his players. They've come off the back of, I know it was against just Norwich, who looked like they could get relegated today, but any win in the Premier League gives you players positivity. They have some outstanding individuals. Um, so it could be a tough game. And what we don't want, we don't want uh, what's been the feel-good factor to be spoiled in the last few games, because there's still the chance of getting in the top 10. There's still the chance of um, having the highest points total in the last, uh, what is it, 12, 13, 14 years, um, which isn't, you know, something to get excited about, but it's a stat. It's just a damning, it's a damning stat to see where, where we've been in those 13, 14 years, you know. Um, and, um, you know, it's, I've seen some comments and I listened to the commentary when I watched the game as well old teammate of mine in England at 21, Steve McManaman. And then I've seen some comments after the game from some from certain sections of the fans who were that, uh, getting a bit frustrated with uh, uh, how we're getting portrayed in the media, uh, how things, are, you know, are, it's been a successful season and, you know, it's been this, it's been that. And some of the points I agreed with, you know, and I've said this to you many times, this club, and our club should never be judged and should never deem success of just staying in the Premier League or, or finishing just below mid-table. We should be aiming to get back into that top 10 then trying to fight for Europe and then trying to be competitive for the, for the major trophies. And I know, listen, the game's changed and the top teams are, like I've said to you about when we talk, first talked about the takeover, it's going to take a long time to catch up those teams because they're so far ahead. You judge the quality of a group by what they've got on the bench and you see what Liverpool and Manchester City and Chelsea can bring off their benches in comparison to ourselves. You know, we had two or three untried youngsters on the bench uh, against Manchester City. Now, do we put those on at four or five nil? And, you know, it, it becomes one of the hardest things ever done and the, 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 it knocks that confidence. I think Steve was probably right in not putting them on at that stage of the game. We don't affect our young, the youngsters' confidence so quickly. So yeah, we we I thought I was disappointed, um, you know, with how the players performed. It was always going to be difficult, you know, that that top class, but hopefully it can be put right this afternoon. Steve Bruce came out in his press conference, and uh, again, you know, he's he's constantly asked about the takeover, and uh, you know, he he essentially just said we needed a decision, you know, and we needed it weeks ago. Really, he said it's hanging over us. And then he, he turned it on to the press, really. He just says, why don't you guys get stuck into the Premier League, get stuck into them and demand a decision that will give us a bit of clarity? Um, essentially saying that we can't influence the takeover, but there has to be clarity in the decision. And, and he was also saying, you know, like the media and, and the papers have, have been saying it's going to happen for the last 15 weeks. So there was a bit of frustration from Steve Bruce because, of course... You know, he's in the managerial position at the minute. And, um, you know, all of this uncertainty certainly isn't going to help us if, 
you know, the takeover doesn't go through for the next few weeks and he's got to start making plans for next season. 100% Steve. I think uh, Steve Bruce is in a very, very awkward position. I know through his professionalism, he'll just be cracking on with the job. He'll be looking at the games, trying to get as many points as he can from the remaining number of games. But he also have his recruitment team ready and, you know, himself understanding the positions he wants to strengthen, the type of players he wants to bring in. But he's, yeah, he's, I think it, the, the bit of frustration is creeping in by him now because he doesn't know there's too much uncertainty. It's dragged on for a long time, becomes the main story. Um, he knows it frustrates the fans and sometimes that can relate itself onto the pitch even though there's no supporters there. You still have you know, the social media which can affect the players and, and management, etc. So I think he's right in saying about getting it clarified one way or the other. So, the club, so he actually knows with clarity, one, if it's just going to be carry on as normal under Mike Ashley in the current regime and, and he'll have his recruitment plan for that. Two, is he going to be the choice of the new owners? And if he is, you know, um, obviously probably looking at it in more substantial budget, so a different type of player that he can go for. And there's not long before the new season starts. I was just looking at the uh, 12th of September, they're talking about, the weekend. So the finish, what is it, last weekend in July. So you're talking seven weeks, I think it was, from the last game to the next one. Now, you know, it's how he works about the players, giving them a little bit of a rest and a mental break before the new season starts. You kind of give them too long because you don't want them to come back in the new season unfit because you get off to a bad start and it's very difficult to recover. And also what he's got to do in that short period of time is strengthen the squad. I've seen a report today saying that he was looking to bring in at least four new signings. Um, so, you know... We know at the level that Newcastle are competing at the moment in time and, and, and with the budget restrictions, that could be difficult to get four players over the line if in, even if they're going to be permanent signings. So it's, it's, it, I can imagine he is getting a bit frustrated with the timescale. And, um, you know, it's, I didn't, when, you, when you mentioned how long it's been, 15 weeks, did you say? Wow, yeah. that's a long time for a takeover process. And I know we've had issues like we've never experienced before in the world, but that's still a long time. Yeah, I mean, the PR that's coming out of the club at the minute, obviously because it's football, we're, we're getting stuff now from the club and, and Steve Bruce is always going to be the, the spokesperson because, of course, we don't hear anything from Mike Ashley and Lee Charney. But um, there seems to be a lot of stuff coming out about, you know, yeah, I've seen that report about, you know, potentially getting three or four players in. Steve Bruce came out and compared... Newcastle situation to Aston Villas. He said, you know, they spent 145 million and they're in the bottom two. It's not always about the money. Um, I saw another quote, I think it was in an article by um, Andrew Musgrove at uh, the Chronicle as well, where he, you know, he just said that the club isn't stagnating. Um, you know, that kind of that kind of talk isn't really going to go well with Newcastle fans because you know, Newcastle fans don't want you know, Mike Ashley in charge of the football club. They want him out of the club and they want the club to progress because ultimately, you know, you've admitted it there, you know, like earlier on, you know, finishing, you know, finishing safe and not getting relegated shouldn't be an achievement for a club like Newcastle United. That's been my biggest gripe over the last decade. You know, the celebrations because we finished fourth or fifth bottom. It's really frustrated us and disappointed us and, um, you know, 
But when you have that from the top, you know, that's all you're going to try and achieve. And, you know, when that's your aim, you fall under that. And that's why we've had two relegations. Um, you know, and it's, uh, you're spot on when you mention the situation with Villa. That was quoted. Mule Club Fulham done the same the previous year. They both spent over £100 million. I mean, you talked about this at the start of the takeover. It's all right having crazy amounts of money. But there's lots of examples of teams having that and spending it in the wrong way. Um, you know, you can you can put our record signing in that, who I thought was disappointing again the other night in a very tough game, but offered nothing. You know, here's a man who's smashed our transfer record by more than double and, you know, isn't isn't worthy of his place in the starting eleven for me at the moment, without a shadow of a doubt. And uh, so it's it's all right having funds. It's it's doing the right things with it, and um, you know, if you do it right, they don't always have to be costly. Look at look at our best player, our most exciting player, Alan St. Maxim. You know, wasn't what you'd consider to be a big buy in today's market. In fact, very very cheap. Martin Dubravka, you know, who's he has made the odd error, but when keepers make an error, it usually ends up in the goal. So that's unfortunate. But he's still been an outstanding signing, whatever he cost with between four and a half and five and a half million pound, steals one of the steals of Premier League history. So you can, there's still bargains out there in terms of doing it right. It's getting your recruitment right, not wasting that money and thinking, oh, because we've spent 150 million, we're going to be all right. Because there's two huge examples just from the this season that one Villa looked like they're going to go down and Fulham who did go down the previous year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, money doesn't buy you everything. We know that in football, but you know it, it does help if you if you've got some. So we'll watch that with interest. Obviously, it's uh, you know coming towards the end of the the delayed season, and we're going to be you know bang in the middle of transfer window talk, and it's already starting. Of course, you know Almiron being linked, and his dad saying that you know he's not going anywhere, and some maximum being linked to PSG. I think the most bizarre one I've seen lately is uh, John Joe Shelby. Um, I think it was Giles, John Giles, uh, former John, Johnny Giles. Yeah, he, he suggested that uh, Pep Guardiola takes a gamble on him and takes him to Man City. What did you make of that? Well, you know when I when I seen that and I and I dissected it, I understood what John Giles was saying because me and you have talked about in terms of the talent. John yeah. Joe Shelby has terrific talent. He has a great range of passing. Um, and what he's done, he seemed to add a lot of maturity to his game in the last few months, and he's he's added more goals. I think is he the top league goal scorer for Newcastle? Yeah. Or he's near the top, and so that's a great return for a central midfield player. We know his ability, but I think uh, Steve's given him a lot of um, leadership in terms of making him captain. You know, makes him feel like one of the senior members of the squad, and I think John Joe's, uh, you know, returned that. I think what Johnny Giles is on about, he has the ability to play for a Man City and don't forget he'd signed for Liverpool when he was a youngster. So that tells you in itself he has the ability. What he has to do is be consistent. What he has to do is bring that defensive side of the game because we just talked about some of the outstanding attacking players Man City have. But those players I mentioned, the Fordens, the De Bruyne's, the David Silvers, I watch them when they haven't got the ball, how hard they work. How, where they are positionally, they're tracking back, they're winning the ball back on their edge of their own box. As soon as they lose it, they're the first one to press. So, you know, John Joe has to see that. 
you know, when you look around the world and you've looked around, you know, football in time, the top players, the best players are the ones who have the ability, but they work unbelievably hard. You know, take Kevin, Kevin Keegan, for example, Ballon d'Or winner two years in a row. And when I had the, was fortunate to play for him and I used to speak to him regularly, he always said he was, he was, he made himself into that player. He didn't have the natural ability. He worked unbelievably hard. Every day he worked hard on his finishing, his heading finishing, his shooting finishing. Every day he worked hard on his movement. Every day he worked hard on the, in the gym to, be, to get himself stronger. He said when he moved to Hamburg, you know, he gained four or five kilos in solid weight and had an unbelievable physique that he'd never had. So he, he made himself, and not only was he a top player, I think he undervalued himself a little bit. Mine saying he didn't have the natural ability. But he he um he end, he had the natural ability, but he ended up being an unbelievable worker as well, and and all those players over over time who have ended up being classed as you know legends of their era work hard. Shira, no, no one worked harder pressing the back four of the opponent, making run after run uh, to to move centre halves out the way, lots of movement in the box to to get across defenders, you know. Um, done, done great shifts when you know the team was under the cosh coming back to defend corners all those type of things you know the, the, the stuff that sometimes gets unseen and I think that's what John Giles was saying that it's certainly the, the natural talent John Joe has it's the other parts of the game that he can add on a more consistent basis well, There was reports as well on Fabian Shaw this week you know talk about his contract he's got a year left I, I don't think he's um, he's looking to sign a new deal. Is that somebody who you'd like to see stay? I mean, he played in an unfamiliar central midfield role, uh, you know, against Man City. Obviously, that was just down to the fact that we had so many players unavailable. But you know, are you are you a Fabian Shaw fan? Of course, I think. Listen, I think for the the money that he cost, another one that didn't cost the the earth, and he's 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 popped up with some really important goals. I think he has a good distribution in terms of his range of passing. He's hit some long-range strikes for us. Um, very difficult, as me, me and you said, when we're talking about him being a square peg in a round hole. Very difficult to play that, do that, against the top draw midfield of Manchester City's. So it was always going to come unstuck. And I think when you have a player like that who has that versatility, it is important to have those players in your squad as well. When you're, when you're carrying such a small squad who can cover, you know, uh, he can play in the back two with centre halves. He can play in the back three with centre halves. He could do that defensive midfield role. Obviously, struggles against the top teams doing it, but when you come up against other teams in the league, could possibly do that. So, yeah, I'd like to see th those type of players stay. Um, you know, once it, if a takeover happens, whether they'd be a regular and they start in eleven would remains to be seen. But certainly would would give you that uh, flexibility in terms of a squad player. Now, I saw somebody else in the news this week. You kept this one quiet. Newcastle Blue Star. You're back in football. What's, what's going on? Yeah, completely different role, Steve, and something that uh, is exciting for us, something that I've been looking to be doing for a while. Um, know Stephen Best, the chairman there, really well, and in the committee have terrific ambitions for the club. Um, in terms of this redevelopment of the, of the ground going on as we speak, in terms of uh, two new covered seating areas, one of the main stand with the new dressing rooms for home and away, manager's office, physio's office, 
uh, hospitality for over 250 people with uh, with with a lookout onto the onto the pitch and also from behind the stands where one of the mini soccer pitches is going to be VIP areas um potential down the line of 4G floodlit full size area other uh, sporting facilities for the for the community in the area and also it may remit is is the general one of you know the direct that football role is one helping with that redevelopment two bringing sponsorship into the club three overseeing the academy which is at a very young age in terms of the club was only reset up in 2018 so overseeing that no interest in being a manager uh, Kenny's done a great job Kenny Wharton and his staff so I said to the committee that not even for one day would I be interested in being the manager. This is a, something I've ex- thought about for a while because I know and I understand how to develop players. Uh, because of my time at Birmingham, when I was basically running the club financially and from a football standpoint, I know what it takes to, you know, uh, budgetary terms. Uh, I've basically, with the academy director, I've done the audit to get the club into Category 2 status, which was really good for the financial position it was in and being in the championship. So the running of the academy and setting out a philosophy. And, and what detracted is more than anything, because I've been nagging is for a while since I've been out of football, was the ambition of the people. The ambition of the people at the top. And that's what you've got to be sometimes, you know, and when they're lucky enough to also have uh, the finances to, to back that, You've got an opportunity and what they want to try and build something where they are at the moment. Yeah, it could take a while, but probably the people at um, South Shields said the same. Probably the people at Salford City said the same. So there's dreams can be made if you do it right and they have the people at the very, very, very top, the owners and the committee who have the ambition, but don't just talk about the ambition that deliver. And um, so I'm really, I'm going to meet all the, coaches and staff after this chat with you and uh, really looking forward to getting stuck into many different aspects of, of, of football and that's it adds different strings to my board gives me more experience on different things and it, it also gives us an opportunity to, to add something back and what really excites Steve which you'll you know you'll understand was with it being Newcastle Blue Star the kits from the uh, our black and white home kit with a blue star on and then the second kit being the blue strip with a blue star on. But the third one, the iconic silver one with the blue star one, which was obviously, I remember where uh, Newcastle wearing down at Craven Cottage under McKeegan and BRZ when Peter scored an overhead kick in a 2-2 draw. So that brought a little bit, uh, that pulled at the heartstrings a little bit as well because you have that little bit of nostalgia with uh, the olden days at Newcastle United. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, good luck with that, mate. Because uh, you know, having you involved in, in in a football club is 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 massive for, for for people, but especially with it being in the northeast. And uh, I'm sure you'll sure you'll take a lot to to them and and do really well, mate. So good luck with that. Um, yeah, listen, it's um, it's 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 me trying to help. And what we want to try and do is give the youngsters somewhere to come every day, give the youngsters uh, a, a project, help them if we can to try and live the dream like I did and make a living from, from the world of football. And if we can, it, we want to help them in their life going forward as well. So, you know, there's lots of possibilities. So but we really appreciate your good wishes.
I've got to ask you um, about VAR, mate. We haven't really discussed it a great deal, to be honest, over, over the lockdown period, but uh, is that possibly the worst night of VAR the other night? I think every, every game had a decision which was, you know, which was wrong. Um, I think, I've never seen anything like it. I think, the, I think they've come out and said every, there was three major decisions that they got wrong, but why the, why the ref's not going across to the monitor to make their own minds up as well? I mean, it's just, um, it's, it, I can't fathom it out. I mean, uh, you know, you, you have the Harry Kane incident with Tottenham. It's, it's a penalty all day long. For me, um, you know, the, the Fernandez one isn't a penalty. The Tolkowski one, if the Eddie Nikita uh, is a straight red the night before, the Tarkovsky one's a straight red. That, it's, the inconsistencies is actually getting worse with VAR. It's not getting used for the right reasons. And it's actually, it, it makes it worse because not only are the referees not being allowed to use common sense, the VAR who are looking at these decisions and getting it wrong after watching numerous different replays, slowing it down, and they're still coming to the wrong conclusion. It's just, it just, it must be hard. It must be so frustrating as the managers who are on the end of, end of these decisions. You know, they must be absolutely pulling their hair out, and, and you're just in the lap of the gods again, aren't you? We thought this was going to bring an end of all this, but it's actually, it, it's made it worse. It's made it worse. Yeah, it, it has. I mean, it, it is farcical. They really need to look at it, I think. And, um, you know, it, it, the worst thing about it, you know, I'll always say this. I mean, look, the league's done and dusted, but it, the relegation end, it isn't. And, and you know, Absolutely. One of these decisions could cost a club millions if, if, you know, it could be down to that one point or, you know, the penalty that they don't get or the goal that's, you know, that supposed, supposedly was a handball or someone was offside. It's... It's crazy, and, and you know, they, they really do need to get the system right. I just don't think they practiced enough with it. They didn't, they did, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't given enough testing, and, um, you know, we've seen some absolutely disastrous decisions. And the only thing that happens is managers come out, they can't say a great deal. You know, Jose Moreno tried his best, but he'll still end up on an FA charge for, for criticising the referee and criticising VAR, and, you know, that, you know, the FA make more money out of it, don't they? Well, Steve, that's the problem. You know, the managers are so um, very nervous about speaking the truth now. They just fudge the, they fudge the questions and, you know, they get criticised for that. But why are you going to come out and say something and then, you know, 50% of your weekly salary gets taken off you because you get fined? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? The money that you're working for, for your family, because you come out and tell the truth and you get, and, and you, you get fined for it. Uh, you know, and in charge by the, the Premier League and the FA, so you you don't get the true reflection of the managers either, because they, they can't feel like they can be honest with it. And nobody from the Premier League or the 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 the, the, the referees association come out. So you just have this debate, and it's only the only the pundits and us the supporters who can talk about it. Yeah. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Well, we've mentioned today's game already. Watford away. Um, Watford, of course, are still embroiled in the relegation battle. Newcastle, of course, now math mathematically safe. Um, injuries, we've talked a little bit about it. Kieran Clark and Fl uh, Florian Lejeune 
both still sideline clock, probably will miss the rest of the season. Lejeune could come back um, for maybe the last game or two. Uh, other other uh, injuries today, Isaac Hayden and Sean Longstaff aren't expected to play again this season. Um, and Andy Carroll's got a groin strain and Emil Kraft's got an unspecified issue. So, as you quite rightly mentioned earlier, though, Lascelles, Almiron and St Maximin should all return to the starting eleven. So, Watford away isn't a happy hunting ground. Uh, we've never beaten them there in the Premier League, um, which you know is you know no surprise. Our away form has, has never really been great. Although last season, with a with a good number nine, it has to be said, Rondon, we did manage to get a one-one draw. So, how do you see today's game going, Lee? And what's your prediction? I see it as a very tough game, Steve. I see because, as I spoke about, I know the manager really well. I believe they have some talented players. They're fighting, you know, to, to stay in the Premier League. Um, if they can take maximum points, that would give them a, a decent bit of breathing space. I think it might take them four or even five points clear if results were to go for them. Um, so, very difficult. Difficult when you mention that we are without you know, uh, Sean and uh, Longstaff and, and Hayden, you know, who've done done well since the project restart um, in terms of when we've had the positive results. Andy, as we've mentioned, you know, was another setback for him, which is, uh, you know, the elephant in the room all the time with these continuation of injuries, which is, you know, always going to put what he can do in doubt for us. So, you know, it leaves you with the conundrum, do you go with Dwight Gale through the middle? Um, you know who in the last away game at Bournemouth in in the in the uh, obviously last win sorry looked impressive and will be full of confidence uh, with Almiron and and um, Saint Maxim either side um, and obviously you, you, you're hoping that Lascelles can come back because obviously a captain's a, an important leader in many in many aspects not just for the way he plays how he how he leads the group so. And as we've said, Newcastle haven't got such a big, strong squad and depth. They need as many as their experienced lads back as possible. So I think an extremely difficult game. Hopefully they respond the way they have in previous times where they've had a disappointing result. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they follow on where they left off uh, in midweek, it could be a very tough afternoon. But I'm expecting uh, a tight game. So um, I think you could either look at a, a score draw, but if not, I'll go with a positive one and say that we'll win by the odd goal, probably 2-1. I've gone by 2-2, mate. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's hope we'll get uh, something down there. It would be nice to get uh, you know, back on track, if you like. And, um, yeah, it would be good from a psychological point of view just to get you know, more points than we've ever had under this actually regime. It would be nice. It would be good for Steve Bruce as well. So uh, let's see how things pan out. As always, mate, great. Good luck um, uh, at Blue Star today, mate. And uh, we will catch up next week. Cheers, Steve. Thanks very much. Take care, mate. Bye-bye.